Ross, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Are you ready to explore the terrifying wilderness of League Guitar? Uh, yes, absolutely. I'm sweating already, and things are, that's about normal, so that's pretty good. Okay. Well, <laughs> since we're both lead players, I thought that we'd uh, talk about improvisation. Right. Sure. So do you think much about improvisation or the operational principles of soloing? So what is it that goes through Ross Hastings' head when it comes time to play a bitchin' lead? If if it sounds bad, just bend it as much as you can. <laughs> yeah, I'm guilty no, of that. Uh, um, I mean, I think uh, a very close friend of me said that um, Ellington used to say, like, if it sounds good, it is good. Very good friend of mine, Bob Wenzel. Uh, Loves that quote. No, I, I try to prep um, harmonically by knowing what where the chords are going. If I can, I try to play through the main melody, the main the main theme. Consider that the melody and the chords sound good together. That's almost um, sounds very obvious, but that's a, always a great starting point. I always also try to consider arpeggiating. Um, chord shapes, I guess, from a more academic sort of approach to uh, considering what I'm, what ideas I can generate. Yeah, and it requires a roadmap of the fretboard. Have you made a concerted effort towards learning the fretboard? You know, what do you think about this bewildering length of rosewood and nickel? <laughs> I think it's gorgeous. <laughs> um, it's, I think, uh, that it can be daunting. But if you consider like what works for you and a lot of uh, and how this is put together, how does your how do you see the fretboard and what is it? If looking down on it, there are so many common landmarks that I think just from the design and because of popular music, we kind of go to those. Um, but consider what it, what a common I think conception is that flat keys are so neglected for string players. So it's kind of where I'm trying to draw towards all the time or, you know, work on. I've been like, doing that too because it is a strange territory for string players because of our instrument's propensity for sharp keys. So it's good to practice the whole circle. I've been devoted to learning the fretboard for many decades. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I know it very well or not. but I would say you do. You sound great every time I hear you, man. Absolutely. Thanks for saying so, man. But it's, it's been a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. Mostly tears. <laughs> I, I, I know some something about the fretboard, but I, I'm still bamboozled by it from time to time. Mm-hmm. Right? I've yeah. played that a trillion times, and that'll just come off my hands without any conscious awareness. So it's a, it's a piece of vocabulary. Mm-hmm. Then I use this vocabulary at appropriate moments via rudimentary musical wishes. Perhaps just a shape or a rhythmic gesture. Mm-hmm. Then what happens to me is that my musical surroundings change the direction and contour of my vocabulary. My stock riffs become less stock as I begin to adapt and manipulate them in real time. And that, to me, is what improv really is. Absolutely. Where you're adjusting the familiar. Absolutely. And then... um, I know that was long-winded. That was a a fantastic way of putting it... Um, a point in time when you become very acquainted with uh, familiarity within your note choice and within like the direction or style or attitude or playing it this way as opposed to trying to take a different approach 
I think happens and that becomes like a roadblock for a lot of, um, I hear that a lot. I hear a lot of, you know, I do this, it sounds good, but I, I want something else. I want to be inspired again. I want more. Yeah, I'm hungry. Part of what keeps me occasionally inconsistent is that I'm always going for it in a way that is somewhat unproductive musically. I want mm. to try this instead. Right. But or how, where to put those, some of those ideas. Because it's not, it's not, I, I would have to say that I find them uh, still musical, still applicable and um, very, very much um, interesting to listen to. And that's, uh, for me, I think the main idea is that you have, you, it's a, a playful experience. It's, um, it's a matter of sometimes just placing those tricks, those ideas, those licks, whatever, um, in the right spot or on a different string set or um, backwards, forwards, over, under, left, right. I mean, now, sometimes I can't handle it. I mean, right. I can think that conceptually and then I'll try it backwards, forward, over, and under. Right. But end up crashing directly into the mountain. Sure, and then you take that takes you another direction. I mean, that seems to all be a a, um, a fluid river of just exploration of where you can go and where not to go. You can you decide really what works and what doesn't, which is kind of wild, you know. You get that goes back to just considering um, uh, familiarity with note choice and direction and things like that. You can. Hear that while you're playing something else to me is just, I, you know, I, I'm just so fascinated by that, you know, concept. Yeah, you can't be afraid to be yourself while you're playing. It doesn't matter that a thousand people have played it a thousand different ways. This is how you're doing it now. Mm-hmm. And you've, you've found something that works for you, or at least that's how it's been for me, like sort of an unorthodox approach. Certainly. But it's like just, it. It, but it's just how I, how I think about it. And, you know, for better or for worse, I'm usually going for it. I think your playing is always very uh, characteristic of thought. It's always very mindful. Um, it sits w- and naturally mindful. It's a place where I think like there's, it's a very open style of playing. It is articulate. It's not predictable. Um, it, it's uh, engaging, and it's it's usually I think just from from talking with you and knowing you, it's from a place that truly uh, loves the the musical world and the realm of what what is possible and what is traditional and what is so- timeless. Like mixing um, all of the above is just kind of like my favorite style of playing. You know, mindfulness playing. Mm-hmm. I'll take that compliment. Thank you. Those were kind words. There was a lot of words. Uh, but I'm always that. thinking. That's true. It, sometimes to my detriment, but I, I have to think through it. I mean, sometimes I'll, I'll give in to just l- like wanking emotively or, or playing in a like a pentatonic shape. And oftentimes it does work for rock. But for the mm-hmm. most part, I'm, I'm trying to navigate the changes. It's what's behind the name of my blog and podcast. That's my philosophy too. Soloing is chasing the chords. I need to be aware harmonically what's happening. Then I play solos in a way that's a lot like playing chords to me. Like I'm just mm-hmm. playing chords in my mind. 
I mean, yeah. it's arpeggio based, and you know, sometimes it, it sound you can hear you can hear me thinking. Sure, but it it, it works it works for me. It yeah it, at times and at times I can't keep up. I can't think fast enough. The chords the, are going by too fast. Sure, some of my favorite playing is hearing like Joe Pass fudge a note here or there on all of his albums. Like it's wow. because he's he Joe can't keep up with Joe. You know, that's the idea. That's a good way to like put there's, it. There's a person behind all of that sound, and they're trying to speak and communicate with you without using text or words. <laughs> right, just sometimes it ends with a good exclamation point or a question mark, etc. Or a comma. Or a comma. <laughs> Often mine are just commas. Just one run-on sentence. I like it. Don't stop. Don't stop believing, as Yeah, say, I'm, I'm not going to stop believing. Yeah, so how do you go about ending your sentences, right, when you're improvising? I just immediately stop and I look and say, I don't <laughs> yeah. even know where we are. No. Um, yeah. No. I, uh, have any habits? I end a lot of phrases with and for. I don't know. And then, like, I, I hear it creep in yeah. all the time, and then I, it, it begins to annoy me. I would say I like that because those two quarters at the end, bump, bump, sound like a cadence. Yeah, I mean, right. They sound like... It's interesting that rhythm becomes part of, you know, that, that cadence. Usually we think of like, you know, authentic traditional cadences or endings to it. That's right. Like it's got to be perfect. I mean, I usually, I think I try to end on a high note, you know. That's like, wise. Uh, That's Something right. like that that's like ending on a chord tone, I guess, rather than uh, a high note. But, right, uh, but oftentimes the high notes will have the most gravitas, which mm-hmm. is a good way to put a button on the sentence, the musical phrase. Absolutely. How do you prepare through difficult changes? Do you find yourself playing completely harmonically, or, or do you find shortcuts with scale passages? You know, if, if things are scooting by... Like the like, if you can imagine like the end of the phrase in Misty when it's mm-hmm. like like, how would you navigate those in a way that doesn't sound as contrived as contrived as just. You know, like I just like chase every chord like an orangutan sometimes. <laughs> Um, it's, I guess it depends on where, um, where I'm at, um, depending on which chord structure it is. I mean, you know, very simple. Like half as many chords, like maybe if you just chase every other chord. I think always follow the thirds. I try to follow the thirds, the sevenths, uh, the money notes, and, and in the right place. But with a third of which chord, there are so many chords, and they're going by so fast. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I don't know what to do. Just play a descending scale the uh, whole time. All right. Uh, good advice. You'll get them. They'll be in there. <laughs> Maybe not that one, but I got you. <laughs> I enjoyed that one. Um... So what? It's a two five. Yeah, it was um, yeah, it was E flat. 
Go ahead and just navigate these sounds here. <laughs> right, yeah, just just show me uh, some licks and phrases that oh, yeah. so I can I can hear you end your sentences, right? different styles nowadays so I find myself trying to bleed the or just finding things crossing uh, all the time I mean arpeggiating I think f fits in a lot of different genres but I just think in arpeggiation so much because there's so much that in metal playing there's so much that in like across the board that it's a it's full of nutrients as an exercise um, it can help you work through chord changes, um, teach you about part writing, um, you know, traditional part writing, which is pretty rad. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a, a good practice. I mean, that's what composition is. If you can devise mm -hmm. a melody and then support it with a bass line and then fill in all the parts mm -hmm. with proper part writing, you get all kinds of ideas. There are just nifty ways that that melodies coincide with one another and overlap in a way that's what's beautiful. It's like the science of music. Mm -hmm, absolutely. It's uh, one of the things I love is to think of it as a, you know, I think often we try to categorize what music is to us and not necessarily what it, what it is by itself and how it interacts with itself. Like we, we create genres and a theory and, um, all of this stuff to make sense out of it, but what is it doing without our involvement, so to speak? How, like, if we're not used, I guess that's where recreation comes in. But uh, one of my favorite guitar players, Guthrie Govan, says that I don't believe in background music. And uh, I've always just been like, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, there's beauty even in music. Right? Right, just ride the elevator all day. Mm -hmm. John Cusack music. There's another station for you. Oh, I'll have to check that one out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So let's do some improv improvisation, sure. shall we? Let's, let's play a, a simple little bebop and jazz tune little from a, uh, a William Bay method book. And right. There's little, little tunes called Breezin'. It's essentially just like amped up blues. So, uh, okay. You play the chords first, I'll sure. play the melody, then sure. you do some jamming, I'll do some jamming. We'll see if we can land this airplane without mm -hmm. any casualties. <laughs> Two, three, four. Thank you. 
it's so playing. goofy sounding. It definitely the arrangement and the form of these chords is definitely counterintuitive. It was times where I would thought it would go back to the one, or that I was at the one, and I was thought I, the five was coming, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm like, man, this oh, man. sounds different than I thought it would." You know, those are reasons to keep your head up rather than down. Yeah, like I find that with my keep your head up. You know what I mean? Head Trying up to keep an eye on the the changes in front of you as opposed to down at the fretboard thinking outline, outline, outline. I have trouble. My head's down a lot of the time. So uh, what's, you know, what was happening in mm. your head as that unfurled, right? What, uh, what Into was, the depth. Yeah, what was controlling <laughs> your decisions about notes and rhythms? I have a particular um, knack to try to not compare but co- try to complement um, what what I, what I hear and what like might be part of the overall composition, like the trading of solos, the the characteristics and personalities between both of us. I thought this, you know, this tune it, to me hits me as a relaxed, done with the day, ready to go home kind of feel, and so I kind of thought, all right, a gentleman of leisure aboard his vehicle and um thought mostly of that it was a very relaxed kind of feel i guess it, and i like it, your answer there it's important to have an extra musical muse and that song had a sunny day kind of feeling yeah and that feeling affected Absolutely. the way we both played it so let's move on to another topic i thought that we would discuss music theory to some degree sounds interesting to three other people on earth <laughs> but Good. Hello, those three people. Right. So we're going to do it anyways. We're just going to boldly go where most people stop paying attention. Sure. Into the outer limits. So do you know many scales? Do you do you practice scales? I try to think of myself as a scale. No, I um. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think I'm within my BMI. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Um, <laughs> For the proper number of scales to, yeah. to have memorized. That's my right. that's probably the nerdiest joke I've ever had. I'm very proud of it. Um Yeah, I think we should celebrate that joke. <laughs> yeah. Write down the time. I I don't try to memorize a lot of scales. I think um there again Besides the critical ones, you mean? Oh, I think like knowing you, the mo I always try to the one of the first things I think to take note of is the formula and the distance between, you know, intervolic sounds ear training and um i think those in succession of course kind of make a scale but that's kind of what you're really trying to teach is that you're trying to and and figure out is how this scale gets context you know especially since melodies typically move by these smaller intervallic move steps anyways Mm -hmm. yeah i I don't know maybe I'm, i'm wasting all my time doing this every morning i i mean as a technical i do um oh let me think here this one that i've been working on you know that's a real yeah, fun so, one yeah uh, a, you can do it up the mode. a contour okay. is that in fives one two three four are you going up five and then back one okay one two three four five six so they're triplets 
right? And then, then where are you going? Are you doing like a thing across strings or are you going to another I'm string? I'm going up to up the scale. So it'll be, I do it on three on a string as opposed to the cage system. So that's, otherwise it would work. I mean, right. Yeah, it's but three on a string. But it kind of lands where it needs. And uh, because of the string set and because where you're starting and how many notes you're playing within the beat, Within uh, within time, you end up on your beginning pitch, and it also extends the length that the scale requires right. to unfurl. Therefore, it's good in an improv setting. You could steal little yeah. phrases from that. Yeah. good at three on a string stuff but but uh, I, I i've been recently trying to incorporate some of it i just impulse bought this this shred video series off this german guy named klaus levine it's like it was oh, 60 nice. bucks but I, I got like it comes with a bunch of jam tracks and he's like three on a string captain sure. of europe <laughs> so I'm, I'm i'm hopefully i'll you know maybe incorporate some of that eventually yeah, but, but I'm caged all the way, man. I'm just I'm I'm Captain Caged all day. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I mean, but, I yeah, I think uh, like you know, yep, contours. Uh, those make sense in a caged form. Uh, that's the only shape I can really comfortably like that I will uh, sweep in public is uh, <laughs> this one. That yeah, major, right. Yeah, major seven thing yeah, that major seven. The shape is is yeah. super easy. And if I really want to show it off, like my one of my favorite uh, like theory tricks that I probably play to a fault or overplay all the time is the chromatic median of like just going up a minor third but playing a major chord. So you're always playing major chord. Oh, neat. It's, it's so you some... can really power up your yeah, Mario it... system. Oh, right, which is what most listeners actually need. You know. It, there, it's just so. It's a. It's a sound that I. Yeah, it's, can't it's get a nifty sound. Head, it, it's, it's sort of a uh, like a like a little magic potion. Right? <laughs> Very nice, indeed. Indeed. Everything's a dream. And usually you can get about four sips, four or five sips, you know, before you get back. Or I think I forget how many, but you get eventually can get back to your root. I like experimenting with this. That kind of line that like. Want to use? Just kind of been playing it a lot for a long time, and I'll it's like go you got here. Two on one string and one in the middle, and then up. something like that. What are you, uh, a basketball player? <laughs> yeah. But that for, for me, that that's not a that's not a particularly comfortable shape. That uh, I would probably have. You know. All right, fine. I'll work on it. I mean, <laughs> it's, you know, if all the cool kids are playing that arpeggio, then I it. guess I gotta play it. It's fucking bullshit. <laughs> okay. All right. I mean, That's, cool, man. Nice. Thanks for that lick. That it's was sweet. In the, it's in the new Will Will Levitt. Yeah. Um, yeah. Text. Just the world's passing me by. I feel like that kid in of uh, School of Rock, uh, the Asian kid that plays piano when he's crying because mm-hmm. he's not cool enough. Meanwhile, he's the coolest one You're in right. the film. Well, they, they said I'm not cool enough. <laughs> All keyboard players, <laughs> right. I feel like, um, are 
the coolest part of the band, but I just don't think they realize. Or maybe they do, yeah. and they're just like, oh, well, you know, still not cool enough. That's depends how cool on the I keyboard am, player, I suppose. <laughs> I suppose. Okay, so moving on. What about the the fractal-like infinity of chord substitutions? Do you experiment with this uh, forbidden territory? There's a particular, a very specialized uh, type of pain, and it's called uh, chord <laughs> substitution. It's, yeah, it's um, so prescribed can... to anyone who needs to be uh, humble. <laughs> like, yeah. I, yeah. Reminded of what life's really <laughs> yeah. not about. Yeah, I mean, I I would like. Um, it's a place that I have more. There's more ground for me to cover as far as possibilities, and not only that, you could spend all day just considering. Um, you could have that one. You know what I mean? I guess I like that. You know, something like that. That's in. Uh, trick and then what was your soloing maneuver just in that moment there it was basically well the key the, um, besides that one substitution almost uh i sort of sometimes try to like crest the line on the on the goofy note right sure <laughs> because it ball. hurts yeah you know it's like oh you think it's right. gonna go someplace no. yeah outplaying um you know you something like that where you're, tones? where you're traveling outside uh yeah of the key mm-hmm. oh okay right and trying to travel back inside somewhere where it's comfortable it's like an, the, the uh, out and in mm-hmm. method yeah it's like the, the rhythm method it's like what isn't you know it's like cubism it's like everything that it isn't i'm with you man <laughs> it's the greatest longest pause it's like That's um, my specialty. I've been trying to play, you know, find another uh, playing over dominant seven chords and trying to get out. Of- I can never, I, I can't get out. I'm trapped. <laughs> right? I feel like the part in Star Wars when they're in the trash compactor. This is, this is my approach yeah. to to dominant chords. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, right. It's it's a uh, magnetically sealed. So what do you do? How do you get out of that uh, dom, dom, dome? Oftentimes, I just don't fight it, right? Mm-hmm. Try not to be as, as obvious. It's hard not to, to play dominant sevens like you're just in Nashville. It's like it's jazz that's all the true. way until you get the five, <laughs> and then all of a sudden, you could have been, you know, whatever, oh, that's... the girl from Ipanema, whatever, and then all of a sudden, you get to the five chords, just you've arrived. You're speaking to you've me. arrived like, in Nashville. It's like you've been watching me at every gig I've ever played in my <laughs> yeah. life, and you're just like, ha! Yeah. You went back to the same. Right. <laughs> I knew you would. Look at him go. Back to Appalachia. Yeah. Like forbidden fruit. Ah. Oh. <laughs> you know, like. One thing I try to do um, is try to 
play the uh, arpeggiate a um, diminished uh, triad within um, any dominant seven chord. But it pretty much outlines, there's a great book by Steve Delich. It's called Altered States, um, and it's a fantastic, fantastic book um, that I still come back to and use as a reference, I think. It's well well laid out, and it's taught, it, I've pulled a lot of no, juicy tidbits from that. Like whole tone scales. Pair over that over a G7. So, anyways, in a related topic to harmonic improvisation and uh, chord substitutions, what about the technique of chord soloing? Do you do any uh, chord soloing with the Keystone Three or in your own play? Um, yes, I should do more. I think. Uh, yeah, it's like a like the doctor's orders. Like, ah, I mean, truly, it is. Don't want to work out. It, it is the nature of like playing. You know, a polyphonic instrument is Misty is one that I think it, like fits well. It's kind of the one that is my go-to. It's just well designed. Yeah, especially it's, it's for the instrument. Beautiful use of, of the melodies in the right place. And, uh, and then uh, those are just natural, you know, cage shapes. And then yeah, that's uh, a neat one. Did you devise that chord solo, or did you learn it? I no, I just went through the book, and I was like, I really want to do a chord solo. I, you know, try. I always I set out to learn a few, pick a few off. And try to notate them myself. I thought, yeah, way that to go, man! If I got into trouble, there was always, you know, billions of other guitar players that surpassed me before I was even like playing the guitar, that I could, st- you know, draw some information from, look for some guidance, um, a, a, a starting point as far as like what works, what is working too hard. I guess you know, as guitar players, we try to do as least at work as possible. Um, yeah, well, it, sometimes it shows if you're working too hard. Yeah, it's better true. to just play within your true. your ability. Yeah, but that's great. So, was that one that you you nicked off of a player, or is that one you just devised using the real book? Uh, just using the real. I mean, I heard um, I've heard it before, um, and I've heard it in like a chordal melodic setting, but I've. I've never looked at any sheet music for that one uh, particular. Yeah, nice. nice. It, it might even sound good, like, take it again from the beginning. That's not a super fly, right? Yeah. It sounds like we're, you know, uh, Joe Pass and his pal or whatever. I don't that's, know. That's uh, absolutely. 
Oh, John uh, Pisano. I think played on a couple of things with him. Yeah. Yeah, but that's neat. That's demanding, though, because a chord solo sometimes, or at least I do, I take liberties rhythmically. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, if you had to play your chord solo and there was like a stiff beat being provided by a drummer and an upright bass player, it would be three times harder. Absolutely. And in knowing your place in the orchestra, I think a lot of like, if you're not unaccompanied, then you're using, you know, close har- closer harmonies and also a lot of. Yep. You know, yeah, there's, there's a lot feel. of that. Uh, flat picking sometimes cures that, sometimes not all the time. I don't yeah, know. the tone's just not there with the flat pick. Yeah. I, I find, you know, for jazz guitar or right. most guitar in general, just like the fingers sound better. I don't know. You Absolutely. Know, but, you know, I do so much flat pick play mm-hmm. that it, it does creep in there. But it, there's a certain sharpness that takes over, and, and it seems like a Certainly. lot of the frequencies aren't available anymore. Mm-hmm. With, or uh, use... Uh, what uh, picking method is um, use it's it? Tremolo picking. Tremolo, yeah. yes, but you're without a pick, and there's like you're using two fingers. I'm oh, okay, sure. uh, like a rasquiato technique, <laughs> something of that sort. Very nice. Right, it was medium nice. <laughs> right. Here's my chord solo. flat pick come there at the end and how the tone changed but i enjoy i mean that's nice it's a crisp clean sort of uh yeah it has a tone to it that i that does i think complement the well that was really nice yeah that was another one of those william bay melodies from that goofy method book i'm reading (laughs) through like an idiot you have i feel like i i just need to come over and just have them all out at once in a circle and just play melody after melody. Yeah, well, it's uh, they're, they're great. <laughs> I mean, I got all of them. As soon as I, I found one, I was like, this is the best book ever. And right. then I had bought his entire series. He did a collaboration with this Michael Christensen guy in the 1990s, and uh, I find them really good methods. So you and I both play in cover bands, and I thought we'd move the conversation over into that topic. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's, a, lot, there's a lot to dig into here. You know, in your own psychology, how do cover bands differ from original bands? What do you get from each, or do you like playing in both types? Yeah, I do. I think they bring um, different as- different things to the table, but um, generally, I think there are, there are common things about one that you that you can like being in the middle is sort of between both has taught me to. Sometimes wish they just switched for a minute. They were just in each other's environment, and how much they would learn and like all of that stuff. Yeah, there's and, a lot to learn on the other side of the fence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there yeah. seems to be a, a kind of conceit that original artists have towards cover bands, or at least I've detected it before, and maybe even detected it in my own. Uh, biases no certainly i think um yeah I've, I've definitely i've got some heat you know people often ask like you know don't you don't you 
feel bad not playing original music. Um, and I, and then I tell them I I do. I just I also play um, in a band that plays covers. It's essentially similar to a business model, but um, it doesn't work well unless you really like to do it. You just find yourself very enjoying very much. You know, being in a band, playing really loud with your buddies. Um, There's an artistry to playing covers. Mm-hmm. You can shoehorn yourself in there somehow, especially if you're a lead guitarist like we are. There's opportunities to to be yourself. At the end of the day, it's it's really about they're they're all notes. You know, they're all like. Um, of the same material, of the same origin, of the same like existence. Um, yeah, they're I, certainly in the same family yeah. of things. Yeah, I I think it's important to try to pay attention to how they sound rather than um, the philosophy the, of repertoire. Yeah, whether they are writing their own songs or whether they're interpreting others. And if I'm to study that, if I'm to really like consider every angle and really do my research why not um play as much guitar as i as i possibly can yeah that's a great way to look at it and it's certainly allowed me to play as much guitar as possible yeah i think one time i estimated over a busy weekend i improvised something like 200 guitar solos (laughs) in front of a live audience yeah it's quite a bit a lot of wanking Absolutely, it's a mar- it's a marathon. It's, yeah, it's physically reps. demanding. Uh, it's mentally exhausting. That's for sure. Um, sometimes you feel like you suck. Sometimes you feel like you're awesome. <laughs> yeah, and sometimes you feel both of those things in the context of one guitar solo. Right. Yeah. Exactly. It's a real roller coaster ride. Man, those notes. You're working as a group for the same a particular. Um, Ideal, you know, a vision. Right. I like getting paid. That's pretty neat. And it seems that that is strictly the domain of cover bands. I don't know if your experience has been any different, but my experience of playing in original bands has largely been rewarding in its own way because of the songwriting and the camaraderie with friends mm-hmm. and playing uh, great music together. But it's been uh, a real dick punch in the clubs. You know, you play these gigs with three other bands and there's a mountain of gear and everyone's waiting to go on second and there's no one there but the other bands and their girlfriends. And then at the end of the night, you three bands, 12 human beings split something like $75. Mm-hmm. It, it can be hard. Absolutely. Uh, and you put everything into it. I mean, um, that drive and passion and fire that gives it so much more meaning because it's it's about one thing. It's like a piece of yourself that you're offering, you know. I always admire, I was always, in co-writing, was always like, <clears throat> played a particular role. Um, and then that I'm usually, like, I, I usually say I'm like the sprinkles on the Sunday. Yeah, that's what the side man is good for, <laughs> yeah. sprinkles on the Sunday. Um, like, I, really, we should just get jobs at ice cream stores. <laughs> I did have one at one point. It was I'm not an ice cream fan, but it was nice. All right, sorry about that. Go it was, on. It was enjoyable. Someone writes a song, they really enjoy it and uh you know, they have the right chords, they have the melody, they have the basic idea of how it, the order the form 
um, they have like the the skeletal system. So they bring it to me and they're like, let's put, you know, let's put some meat on the skeleton. And we work together. It's a it's a partnership of writing parts. Usually it's it's been guitar players. It's been uh, some singers over the years. But what I try to add gives it a, a particular, just like its first definition of being just a pure form, you know, that someone wrote it and presented it. And now you can add all of the special ear candy, everything that a lead guitar offers, sparkling sounds. I've had the same experience as you. I've principally played in original bands with other guitar players who were songwriters. And then my duty was to assist with fleshing out the song, you know, giving it its instrumental vibe and writing tons of guitar parts. That's principally mm-hmm. how I've operated when playing in original bands is we would jam and improvise the songs long enough that I would eventually just write parts. And then I found myself sticking to those parts. So I like to write parts in a, in a original band context and make them as good as I can make them. Mm-hmm. And then usually not deviating very far from those parts in a live setting. Where in a cover band, I, I do find less pressure to come up with definitive parts, though I do in that setting as well. And I'll return to them and play th- songs the same way every time. Mm-hmm. Do you have a, a similar approach? There, Yeah, the re- learning parts, learning um, how guitar used to be on all of those, on, you know, Quincy Jones albums and MJ albums. Um, Super clean and... Yeah, great in chord structures and that were voicings that were really pretty sounding. Um, you know, that like. Uh, right, or, that would just be going on. I mean, that's like just a very simple guitar written part that's, you know. <laughs> I love that loopy <laughs> stuff, right? Yep. Well, though, that, that, I mean, that is that the essence of a second guitar part, right? Mm-hmm. There's The chords are already there, and the bass and drums are going, so what are you going to do, just play another chord, right? So, <laughs> yeah. I, mean, yeah. I, I, I find a, a lot of issue with uh, strum symphonies. If you see a band, and just like every member of the band is just like strumming <laughs> the same like chord. term. The, the strum symphony. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's fantastic. Yeah, but I'm always like, well, you guys are missing the point here, right? Mm-hmm. There's, there's three of you. Why don't you do something else, right? <laughs> yeah. Listen to Quincy Jones already. Yeah. Yeah. See who does it best. You know, it's yeah, always see, a competition. <laughs> yeah, you guys do a lot of things best. I remember uh, being flabbergasted at the uh, the content of your set list and how you overlap songs and make them into conglomerates mm-hmm. that are uh, like a wilderness of magical pop songs <laughs> uh, combined in a Tolkien-esque fashion. So can you sort of walk me through the philosophy of your repertoire <laughs> and oh, yes. how the Keystone 3 approaches your arrangements? I was really thinking, you know, <laughs> that I wish I had, uh, like, Sean and Jason here to, to explain what I think, I, to put best what I'm trying to say. But it's collaborative for sure, it's definitely humor. I think is the is the most important ingredient, and um, an oft overlooked ingredient in music. 
Yeah. Because it's mixed up with the weird Al Yankovic or, or some other. This isn't the humor you're talking about. Not at all. Yeah. No, this is more of just like a. Um, one that we do like going to a place that just it. It's I don't know. It's it's hard to describe. You just find the. Uh, it's not inappropriate. Isn't the right word? It's like but an it's, inside joke. Mm-hmm. Based Similar on the repertoire. That. But it's so ridiculous or so exaggerated or so uh, over the top that it's comical and it like literally makes you laugh because you recognize one melody and you try to mash it with something that is like of a totally different variety whatsoever. It's not a new concept, but it's a fun People concept. enjoy medleys. Sure. It's one of their favorite things. Absolutely. They um, like it when Eye of the Tiger suddenly becomes <laughs> Jack and Diane or whatever. Even um, classical composers would, you know, quote each other often and add um, excerpts from pieces into their material as like a compliment yeah. or, you know. Yeah, Robert Schumann did a, that. Yeah, Schumann did that. Copeland did that um, to make a statement, you know, just to say something with music. Right on, man. Okay, let's move on to uh, today's last topic. I, th- I thought that we, we would uh, speak a little bit about teaching music. Both you and I have extensive experience of teaching music. Mm -hmm. And do you have any educational philosophies? Do you have anything to to add to the discussion happening about the philosophy of education? I feel that I have an old school educational philosophy. Hold your feet to the fire. No, really, you got to learn that type teaching Mm -hmm. as opposed to we got to make every song a playground that we sing along together with with humanity and, and happiness, and then finally you'll be happy enough to practice once. Like that kind of approach, I don't have any 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 patience for. It's just oh my goodness. if they haven't learned the piece, then I'll just make them read till they get that. That's mm-hmm. what they got to do with their mind in order to make music happen. Sometimes it's unfun, but I'm not there to you know to blow rainbow butterflies. And puppies <laughs> up their asses. They're oh. to teach them how to play <laughs> fly licks, right? Right, right. So it usually requires hard work and discipline. And I don't know if your experience differs from mine, but oftentimes in the lesson cubicle, uh, hard work and discipline are about as rare as a wildebeest. <laughs> yeah. In the lesson cubicle, there's almost never a wildebeest in there. Oftentimes, <laughs> there's there's there is not when what days discipline either. Are they there? <laughs> yeah, oh, oh, Tuesdays and Thursdays. Is up. The wheel bases are on Mondays and Wednesdays. Wheel bases Wednesday, yeah. ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, though? Discipline. Certainly, um, the make-believe methods I'm that you of, come across. I'm of the philosophy that I, I try to choose material that is interesting and... That's only because I'm a, that I I can probably gather something um, from anything musical that they're interested in. Um, is it all equally nutritious? Not necess- Not not even close. But um, it it helps practicing, I think, because they're interested in what makes it. Why do they like the things that they like? And when you th- ask yourself that question, you consider learning the language, learning how they interact with one another, 
that sounds super scientific, but that's it sounds more um complex than it really is. Find a point of contact. Yeah. Access that point. Yeah. And connect the dots. With hey, you know what that reminds me of, right? <laughs> this Beatles song or whatever. Right. Absolutely. And they'll think, okay, then you know, most Beatles songs you can go through one, four, five, and then um you get into like more Essential foundation of all of you know all of theory and all of how most chord shapes why they're there why they you know are yeah, the shapes that they are. There's a lot to unpack in a rock song. There has to be, I think, you know, a cause and effect kind of uh, realization from the student. If you don't play that often, you're not going to get. You're not going to have the results. That Shout you it from want. a mountaintop, Ross. I'm. <laughs> It's the most obvious statement uh, a human hear, being ever uttered, me but now. it needs to be said. Hear me now. Um, if you don't practice, right? At least tune it. <laughs> um, <laughs> Any frustrating aspects from your point of view? The most frustrating thing is if it is to try to commute, try to teach someone that that is an expert already. You know, that yeah, they're kind of... definitely uh, the most frustrating student. Really, you know, they can figure this out on their own. They learned, you know, how to do X, Y, and Z. And uh, it's a constant uphill battle. It's a pain in the ass. But at the same time, it's for their benefit. Worth being patient for. Because eventually, they do start to say, Oh, yeah, that's why I can't... I have to use this fingering for uh, an A minor And then you're sitting there with your arms. You're like, well, because, I told you 15 yeah. lessons ago. If you look at your fingers. Yeah, just use your pinky. Yeah. I was like, you no, four, use four. Yeah. No, four. Just pinky. use a finger that's not your first finger to yeah, play just this please. melody. Yeah, just please, any other finger. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I. it's not necessarily like I think it's so easy that everybody should do it. It's just I know what I'm talking about, and I want to know more about what I'm talking about. You can trust me to lead you in the right direction. Yeah, I wish that my instructors, when I was – a kid, I took lessons at age 13, and I took them basically all through high school. But none of the teachers taught me how to read. So I, I played basically by ear for the first, whatever, five years of my guitar life. And then I decided to go to music school, and it seemed like a capital idea at that moment that I should probably know how to read. So I sort of like crammed for the test, and somehow I got in. Maybe you know something about it because we have some overlap in our educational experiences, which mm-hmm. is what I want to talk about next. So, sure. What's been your experience on the other side of the chair? Those private lessons and uh, interactions with uh, teachers and uh, mentors I've had before, like really stick stick with you for a long period of time. It's so incredible. Remember, I have a very similar. Uh, history of uh, getting to a point where I need, you know, was applying to schools after not necessarily being, not reading music, not... Um, yeah, so trying, trying to get into a music school and not being too familiar with the actual language. Right. The written language. You could speak fluently. Right, exactly. The first time I had to get all of that together, my, you know... Teacher was a very, very uh, eccentric, uh, impressionable character. 
Yeah, that's right. So this is a peculiar part of our background that we didn't know till after we met, but we both studied with Irv Kaufman at IUP. Irv Kaufman is one of the most interesting human beings you will ever meet, or at least that was my experience of him. But he was the uh, principal cello laureate for the PSO Mm -hmm. for something like 10,000 years. Mm -hmm. I think he was playing there in 1961 or so, and then... I'm not sure. He may have just retired within the last five years or so. But he was the classical guitar slash just guitar teacher at IUP. And that was my first experience with uh, an educated teacher outside of just learning Crazy Train at the local music <laughs> shop. And, uh, you know, I learned a lot from Mr. Kaufman. I, I had to sort of learn from Mr. Kaufman, not necessarily be in the trajectory of his teaching style. Right. Uh, you know, sort of like he was he was teaching you as though he was firing notes from a howitzer cannon <laughs> ricocheting off of your skull. It's effective. Yeah, and, uh, he, he's, you know, he's a fantastic musician. Um, Absolutely. I remember I got to uh, accompany him playing cello um, on a piece. I think it was a Paganini piece. Oh, neat, yeah. So it was probably, um, probably hard. It was very, very... It took me a few lessons to really... To get it together. Even come close to getting it together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I remember finally getting it and accompanying him. I was like, holy shit, this is really cool. So let's move on to the last part, Ross. <laughs> it's been a pleasure to have you here on the on the podcast I hope you had a good time. It's been I had a pleasure I, to be here. I had a nice time. We should do this again sometime. That would be awesome, yeah. I can learn some fly licks. I'm just going to study this podcast and steal all your riffs. That's fine, because I stole them from you in the first place. That's probably not true. Anyways, Ross, <laughs> uh, tell our listeners where they can uh, find you on the social networks. What's your Twitter and Instagram handle? Um, Instagram, I am. I believe it's the... I am. A wiggling noodle, or it's just wiggling noodle now, I believe. It's sort of an inside joke. Um, it's also an outside joke. Um, you have a really complicated sense of humor. That's the whole, you got to find me. Come Ross, Ross find the breadcrumbs. Sounds good. Thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. Thanks Ross. for having me. Until next time.